0: Hey, what's going on everyone welcome to another episode of about abroad where it's my job to introduce you to people who have built amazing lives for themselves in various foreign corners of the globe we're talking with expats and thought leaders about moving abroad remote work visas and all the fun and practical knowledge that you need to know to follow in their footsteps if you've ever dreamed of making a life for yourself overseas maybe working remotely or embracing long-term travel, retiring or studying abroad, or even just taking a peek inside life beyond your borders, you've landed in the right place. This episode is brought to you by my friends over at eResidency of Estonia, if you're a globe-trotting digital nomad, expat, freelancer, or somebody with a business whether that's just you or an aspiring unicorn like some of the many other unicorns that have come out of Estonia, then look at e-residency of Estonia the next time you're thinking about where to establish your business. E-residency is a digital identity issued by the Republic of Estonia, which is in the European Union, to foreign nationals, that means non-Estonians giving them digital access to the country's advanced online infrastructure and open business environment. And when I say advanced, I mean advanced. They've been doing digital for decades. e residents can start a company 100% online from wherever they are in the world, run it remotely, open business bank accounts, and even submit their annual reports, all with their electronic ID card. It's literally international business without borders for location-independent entrepreneurs, perfect for the about-abroad audience. The next time you're thinking about where to establish your business, look at eResidency of Estonia via the link in the show notes. Okay, now back to the episode. My guest today is Kate Schiffman. She is the founder of The Family Workation, where she is leaning on her experience as a third culture kid that has lived in the Ukraine, in America, currently calling Portugal home, and is curating these amazing experiences for this new generation of families with mobility, families that want to actually spend some time living in a foreign country for a short period of time, 30 days, relatively short, or more, and building out every detail that you need for it to be a fantastic experience from connecting you with the local community to childcare and everything in between. It is really interesting. And it was really fun to see how her life has built up to this moment, connecting the dots from her childhood to what she's doing now and how it all revolves around creating amazing experiences for families, children, parents, everyone alike around the world. I love it. It was super fun. Please help me in welcoming Kate to About Abroad. Kate, welcome to About Abroad. How are you today?
1: Hi, Chase. I'm well. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. I'm honored to be on this podcast. I'm a huge fan. So excuse me for being a little bit of a fangirl here. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> thank you so much for having me. Uh,
0: well, likewise, I, I've been following your work for some time and finally uh, felt, you know what, I'm just going to reach out and see if this would be interesting for you. So I'm I'm really glad that it is. I know you're super busy. Um and and so it's going to be a lot of fun to talk about the work that you're getting into before we get to the family workcation um I would love to learn a little bit more about your past because I have the feeling that there's a strong why behind why you've built the family workcation and I assume it has to do with some global exploits in your life and so I would love to hear a little bit more about like where kind of where your roots are where you're from and how your life sort of transitioned to to where you are today if you can sort of summarize that for us.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, I draw a lot from my childhood and from my experiences growing up in different countries you know, for my work and for, you know, as inspiration for what I'm doing. So um, I have a little bit of a unique story. I think I was a nomad before that was a thing. Um, I grew up between post communist Ukraine and the Upper East Side. <laughs> <And it laughs> the
0: happens Upper East Side because- of New York. Yes, <laughs> not the upper east side of Ukraine.
1: <laughs> uh, no, there's only one upper side.
0: <laughs> <laughs> wow, those are two extremes.
1: Yeah, so my father is a neuroscientist who moved to the U.S. Uh, when I was eight years old, and and he had an arrangement with my mother that I would have to finish uh, high school uh, in the Ukraine before I could move to New York. And so to give me kind of a better experience, you know, and be able to, you know, still be connected with two parents, and to open up the world to me, they had this really, I think, unique arrangement, especially, you know, for thinking about the mid-90s, that I would fly to New York for the entire summer every year, and then for Thanksgiving, which is sort of the end of November, beginning of December. So twice a year, I would come to New York, spend time with my dad, and the rest of the time, I, I was living in the Ukraine. So the experience of, you know, such different cultures and such contrast really opened up my mind from age eight. And I and I knew that I wanted, wanted to live an international life. So that really, you know, that really what shaped me. And then I lived, you know, finally I moved to New York after high school. I lived there for a number of years. I fell in love and I moved to London for five years, as one does, you know, in your 20s. As
0: one does, yes. Yeah. As Kate does. I, uh,
1: <laughs> and then I moved back to New York. I lived there for a few more years, had... The whole corporate career thing finally woke up one day. Well, it wasn't as, you know, obviously as drastic, you know, just in the interest of time. Um, You know, this sedentary life isn't for me. I was not interested in climbing the corporate ladder and, you know, collecting titles and, uh, you know, living in concrete boxes. Um, So I gave up the agency life and moved to Portugal. And now I'm, I'm living here for almost five years and I'm, yeah, and I'm, and I'm building companies and products that help people live their lives more fully.
0: (laughs) Wow. Wow. Really following your dream there and and can totally see how the dots connect from early childhood to to what you're doing today. And people can't see your face the way I can that are listening to the <laughs> podcast. But I see your enthusiasm is super contagious for for mm. what you do. And it shines through in your social media life and your marketing and all that as well. But I know that there's a strong passion there. So that's super cool. I can't imagine a stronger dichotomy than... Post communist Ukraine and Thanksgiving in New York City, (laughs) like that, like that you're getting like the true, true American capitalist experience, and then you've got like post communist Ukraine. How was that as a child? That like switching back and forth between those two uber different worlds.
1: It was at times confusing. It was extremely, extremely exciting. Uh, I remember the very first time I saw New York City, and I fell in love. It's like, you know, your first love. I remember, I think it was probably the first time I was, you know, I was coming and my dad w- picked me up from the airport and we were just driving over the Queensboro Bridge uh, in the afternoon and the entire panorama of the city unfolded in front of me. And that's it. I was told like this, this was the universe unveiling itself in front of me. So yeah, so the, the opportunity that, international life provides is really what drives me it's the world being open to you and yeah everything that comes with that from connections to knowledge to experiences to smells to foods to you know just textures everything so for me that is super super exciting and it was an overload of that in new york uh, and then i would go back to the ukraine and a very different experience and i a funny story i uh i think when i was maybe like 11 or something i get into hip-hop because like that's what you do when you're when you spend you know a lot that of time in new york yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know like, it was it was also the 90s you know 90s in new york you know Uh, And so I I would go back to the Ukraine, like in my high tops, baggy jeans and like naughty by nature t-shirts. And people literally stopped on the road. Cars would stop and offer their opinion. They were like, what what is what is all of this? <laughs>
0: what what was some what was like the what would the common clothing look like for an, another kid your age? There, like, was there a, a stereotype like that? That's a perfect stereotype of what kids in the nineties were wearing. I was also rocking that kind of gear. What what was someone in the Ukraine at similar age wearing at that time? I think
1: it was very. I, I don't know if they were really trends. They were just everything was in flux in the country in general. So there were a lot of different things going on but they weren't there weren't you know actual discernible trends and definitely hip-hop didn't come to to the U.S. until a little bit later and girls so as I'm sure you know Russian girls always dress very sexy and I was never interested in that and so when I saw that you know the hip-hop aesthetic I was like that is that resonates with me so much more because it's more about who I am and what that of what I look like you know so instead of like wearing like super tight things and God knows what, you know, I, I just, yeah, I, Wore you know the baggy jeans and high tops and all of that kind of stuff. So it was something nobody had seen before for sure in my whole time.
0: (laughs) It's really interesting. I I learned this in the last few years. I it's interesting that I never really picked up on it before. But you know I grew up in the U.S. and we have, from the outside looking in, there's a an apparent understanding that we're we're very individualistic in the U.S. We put a lot of value on being unique in in a lot of different ways, like in in the clothes that we wear and the style of our homes and the, you know, people like to distinguish themselves from other people more so than in, it's more important in the US than it is in other cultures. So I can imagine you arriving to the US, seeing a lot of this individualism and then taking what you attach to back to a place where that may not be as important and being like a, like a, whoa, that is crazy.
1: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And it's these kinds of cultural differences that I think make one's experience richer and that's why it's so fun to live in different countries you know uh that first i'm sure you've experienced this that first moment the first like Few weeks or months when you arrive in a new country, it's very different from the second month or the third month. It's kind of like this this haze where you don't understand the language, you really don't know what's going on around you, but you're so enamored by everything because everything is a mystery. You
0: know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I would be really curious to ask you this. So like, I'm thinking of I'm thinking about my question this this question that I'm going to ask from the perspective of people who might be listening, uh, might maybe today parents with children considering a move abroad, right? And so I'm curious to hear when you when you put yourself back in your when you're eight, 10, 14 years old, what were some of the challenges that you faced as a kind of this is a this is what people refer to as third culture kid problems, right? When you're, you know, not just the switching back and forth, but also like, you know, you're now all of a sudden transplanted to this different world where, like you said, you don't speak the language, you don't have friends, um, you are different um, than than the others because of your history. I mean, your your languages you're speaking and the customs you're used to. So you stand out. So what were some of the challenges? They don't have to be horror stories necessarily, but just anything that you may warn those parents about like, hey, just be cognizant of this for your kids.
1: Yeah, definitely. So I think one of the major things is the values and even the aesthetic and the traditions in your family versus outside the home. So there's I mean, there's like several Instagram accounts about like Russians in the US. And I'm sure I think like I know Iranians have the same because I have a lot of Iranian friends. So it's the same like you what you do at home, what you eat at home, how you're supposed to behave at home, uh, you know, on all these cultural things, your country your home country is preserved within your, within your home, within your family. But then the moment you go outside the door, it's a completely different reality. So managing both is is tricky, you know? So for example, as a kid, you want to experience the food outside and you can say like, oh, I want like, burritos and i want burgers and i want this and that you know you go home and like your mom feeds you like the traditional food and and it's and you don't want that because you want that shiny new thing you know and what i would say is i think it's really important for families to go through the experience together rather than being separated by it um and it's a little bit tricky because kids learn the language much quicker and also because they're usually they're in school right away so kids are actually the first ones to enter the new society uh and the new environment and they assimilate quicker parents usually follow behind a little bit so it helps you know i know like in a lot of russian families like the kids act as literal and cultural translators for the parents and that can cause issues but they, this can also you know bring people together bring the family together and help the family um, kind of move on to the next phase of their life together but really integrate it into this this new experience of this new country
0: yeah it's it's super interesting it, it, it people always talk about how kids are like sponges you know how they'll adapt super easily and I, I talk to a lot of people who have you know they're a, they're a family with Young children who one person's from, let's say Canada, and the other's from Spain, and so the and the kid at three years old is speaking English and Spanish perfectly, <laughs> and you're like, you're like, wow, like they really do just learn and adapt so quick, and they'll switch back and forth with no problem. Meanwhile, mom or dad's trying to learn the other language and struggling through it, and. Not to mention all the customary differences that the parents are trying to learn. It's it's really a super interesting dynamic that's becoming more and more normal. Like like I I don't know, growing up, I don't know if you felt this way going to New York, but like you you know, New York's a bit of a bubble. It's a it's a little bit different than the than the rest of the U.S. But like it didn't feel as normal to have these third culture kids uh, in in your life. Uh, There wasn't as much. Transientness, people just bouncing back and forth. digital nomads weren't really a thing, you know, so it's becoming more and more normal. I've mentioned this on the show before, like I look around my colleagues at Duist who are from thirty five different countries, and a lot of the ones that are married with children, like a very high percentage of them are families with with their parents are from two different backgrounds, you know one one country and another country. And now they have a child that speaks multiple languages. And this seems like normal now. Like it's not even a, even a thing. So I don't know. It's, it's fascinating.
1: Yeah, it's, it's really cool. Um, I have friends here. Uh, so for example, look, one of my best friends here, uh, they're both English, the parents and life took them to Mongolia where they just decided to start a business. And their first child was born there. The second child was born, I think, in Singapore. Kids are now seven and nine. And when I first came to their house here in Portugal, I saw all these notes in Chinese and, and I think Mongolian as well, can't all over the house. And I'm like, what is going on here? And they said, oh, yeah, we want to make sure that Ali doesn't forget Chinese, you know, and, and he loves to speak Mongolian once in a while. This kid is nine years old. He speaks wow. more languages than the four of us combined.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that is incredible. When people ask me where's the most unique place you've ever been in the world, I say I say Mongolia. I I went on a quick trip there, and uh, it is very very interesting experience. But yeah, that's that is uh, that is really interesting. I'm going to ask a super um, uh, what may be an ignorant question, and so forgive me if it is, but I don't mind embarrassing myself a little bit here. <laughs> you've mentioned several times here, you've referenced Russia, but you say but you grew up in. Ukraine. So can you connect those dots for us? Do you identify as Russian or Ukrainian? Or is there any reason why there's a little bit of a gray area there that the the common folk may not know?
1: Yes, I'm actually Russian Jewish, uh, but I'm from the Ukraine. As you know, Ukraine was never really independent for more than I think, like a handful of years in its entire history. So but when I was born, uh, I was born in the Soviet Union. And kind of, Russia is kind of like shorthand for me for the Soviet Union, I because I left kind of, Around the time Ukraine was forming as a country, I never connected with Ukraine as a sovereign country in my personal experience.
0: Mm, um,
1: and also, I, I, well, I have some Ukrainian genes, but it's mainly Russian Jewish. So for me, yeah, kind of like Russia is shorthand for like the old country, I would say. Um, ah. um, and identify as a, as a New Yorker, as a as a, someone from Brooklyn. Yeah, it's yeah. a very <laughs> unique identity. <Yeah.
0: laughs> it matters less and less right like i like people pe- when people say like where are you from it's like it, the meaning behind that question just is continuing to lose value for a, for a lot of people because there the, there is this more transient world that we're living in and you know like i certainly i mean i've spent the majority of my life in america so i'm not one of the people that has any room to distinguish between growing up in America and you know, the few years that I've spent in any given country. But I do just meet a lot of people who it's like when you ask like, So like where are you from? You know, just casual conversation. It's like, well, how long do you have?
1: <laughs> this is exactly what I say. Like do you want the short story, or the long story?
0: <laughs> yeah. It's like I'm from Brooklyn. Like, okay, but you have a little bit of an accent. Well, okay, you want chapter two? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so so That's this nasty. is this is really fascinating. And I think it all ties in so closely with your work, which is Super cool. You're currently living in Portugal. And and so I would love to learn a little bit more about your current life in Portugal, where you are, and how that connects to the family workation.
1: Sure. Yeah. So I moved to Portugal around five years ago. You know, after kind of the whole corporate career thing, I, you know, gave that up because I wasn't interested in climbing the corporate ladder. It wasn't meaningful for me. So I quit my job and moved to Portugal. And I spent my time trying to build products and Solutions for people who want to live their lives more fully. So for me, that means having an international lifestyle. A lifestyle where you have an opportunity to connect with different countries and different people and different lifestyles. Uh, and as part of that, is the company that I started this year. is called the Family Workation. What we do is we offer families a chance to try out a life centric experience for 30 days or more. We allow parents the opportunity to come to a different destination and try what it would be like to live there. Uh, We take care, essentially, we take care of all of the logistics to alleviate the anxiety, and, you know, the time and research and everything and, you know, and confusion that is inherent in essentially trying to move your entire family unit to a foreign country.
0: Which of the, there are many logistics, uh, yeah, even for exactly. just a single, <laughs> you know, for just one person. But when you start talking about moving kids and schools and, you know, like you've got work to consider, I mean, there's so many logistics. It's, it's insane. So you're, you're tackling that for them.
1: Yeah, exactly. So actually, uh, I wanted to use, uh, this opportunity to announce a new service that we that we're just launching at the family Vacation, And so in addition to destinations, you know, where we take a group of people to a destination, we're now launching a bespoke service. So uh, we listen to our our customers and our audiences and our friends and our kind of like circle of friends of the brand. And um, a lot of people want to go to a specific place. And rather than trying to pigeonhole them into the one destination that we've prepared for them, we're going to offer them an experience that they actually want. So people can come to us and say, Hey, I want to try living in country at, and we will help them navigate all of logistics and essentially create a bespoke experience for them to go try to live in that country. Uh, And why we do this is because uh, the whole idea behind this company is to help people get out, break out of their structured, you know, concrete box existence. So why would we put them in another box that we've created artificially? We want to give them the opportunity to try this lifestyle actually in the place that they really want to want to be in.
0: Yeah, the place they they feel called to. So uh- we'll be right back to the show after a quick break for a note from our sponsor. This season is brought to you by my good friends over at Insured Nomads. They're the absolute best in the business when it comes to providing health, travel, and medical insurance for nomads, expats, and really just all forms of world travelers. I know insurance is often something that's overlooked when we're fantasizing about traveling the world, but it's absolutely necessity that we address this. Because often the policy you have in your home country isn't going to cover you while you're abroad. And it's also a requirement, as a lot of people may not realize, to actually buy private travel or expat insurance, as it's called sometimes, to obtain a visa or even enter certain countries. So fortunately, there are companies like Insured Nomads to help us with this. Not only do they have excellent coverage and great prices, but they're also providing a first-class experience with additional perks and best-in-class technology via their app. It's, a, it's an amazing experience. I can't recommend it enough. Now this is a company that was built by world travelers for world travelers. So they know what it's like to find yourself in a difficult medical situation abroad, and they want to keep you from having that same bad experience. So the next time you're planning a trip abroad, whether it's for a week or a lifetime, check out insured nomads via the link in the show notes. Okay. Now back to the episode. So, oh, that's that's yeah. amazing. Okay. So, to to distinguish between the two services, also everybody, I don't know if you caught that, you heard it here first, the bespoke service is available now and uh and so we're going to distinguishing between the two main services. You have one which is like you have some predetermined locations that are set up for for families, correct? Yes. Okay, great. And so and those are like describe that for us. Like that what does that look like? Are there multiple families? Is it one family? What is the properties look like? Like, What is the experience like for somebody that goes through this?
1: Yeah. So um, the, the destination we have right now is Bankska, Bulgaria, which I'm sure you've heard about because it's becoming more and more popular with digital nomads. But it's also emerging as a really cool destination for families. Uh, we've seen families moving there in the last like year or so from Texas from the Netherlands, from Malta, from from the UK, from everywhere. It's a very beautiful alpine village, about two hours from Greece and about four hours from Istanbul. So think day trips, weekend trips and it's surrounded by incredibly beautiful mountains um you can you can have amazing i think for families really like the summer experience is really great because you have lakes you have monasteries you have you know hiking and biking and just such an amazing array of outdoor experiences that you can have with your family it is also you know a very affordable cost of living so families can essentially leverage dear arbitrage and spend less time working and more time living and more time experiencing a life, you know, with with their children. So we take them on an experience. It's it's ten families. It's a little bit small, but I'd rather do it right for ten p- families than you know have more families and maybe not everyone has a good experience. Uh, wow. Yeah. So essentially, we take ten families and we arrange accommodation, childcare. And co-working and we plug them into the community, the existing community of international families in Banksco.
0: Whoa. Amazing. So they get kind of like a plug and play experience. Like they just say, family workation, Kate, we wanna do we wanna go on the trip, uh, we'll buy the tickets, let us know everything else from there.
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah, they just have to show up. <laughs>
0: are they and are they generally working like as well or is it like vacation?
1: Yeah, so the idea is for this to be a first step into a location independent lifestyle. So this is not a vacation. This is not a getaway. I really want for people to try what it would be like to live this life. So we have a co cool working space for them. Uh, we have beautiful area that we've set up as a crash uh for the kids we will have child care coordinators for, for for the kids that are a little bit younger so like up until about school age and then we have a couple of uh rooms for the kids that are school age if they have distance learning so they essentially have their own like co-working space.
0: <laughs> kids have co-working spaces these days, man. We have I mean, really like, yeah, we have really yeah. moved forward. Um <laughs> and and what age are the kids generally? Is there a is there sort of a, a norm there? I mean, do they tend to be younger or are they like do people show up with 17-year-olds too? I mean, what... What does that look like?
1: We've had some some interest from kids, from parents of older kids, you know, teenagers. It's a little bit difficult to have a very wide range. Right. So we try to focus on kind of like, you know, toddlers to maybe school age, because that way we can we can have them play together. Uh, the older kids can kind of like take care of the younger kids. They, they have, you know, they have their child care coordinators with them. But, you know, someone who's three and seven, it's a little bit easier than when you, you know, have like a bunch of 16 year olds there. So the needs are completely different, the schedules, you know, uh, the energy levels, everything. So uh, for this experience, we're really trying to uh, have people that are around sort of between zero to like eight year old kids.
0: Nice, nice. And so do the when the parents come over, are they looking to eventually settle in this place? Or is it more like, a, like, like, are they looking to move to the Balkans to Bulgaria? Or are they more like, you know, I'm just going to do this for 30 days, then go back, maybe we do this once a year or something. Is there a a sort of cadence there?
1: Um, Most people have never heard of banks. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So uh, it's something that, you know, we're really having to, you know to present to people who look this there's a beautiful place it's kind of like in terms of the intention it's kind of like 50 50 so the the families who are already nomadic or expat families they're already living this lifestyle they want to try this particular experience or this particular destination and then what i call sedentary families more traditional families they want to they're they're probably they may or may not decide to follow this path in in the future they can now work remotely and they've been locked up in the house for nearly two years so they definitely want to try this more likely that, than not this is going to be something they may do once a year you know and then they go back to their city lives which is perfectly fine like every as long as people are happy and fulfilled i don't care you know how they set up their lives uh, if I give them the opportunity to try this and they enjoy it, they can go on to live their life all over the world, or they can go back to their hometowns and then come on the next experience.
0: Love it. What? Um, wh- how did you choose banks? Like of all the places in the world, um, you're living in Portugal. Portugal is another beautiful destination for for people that don't really know about Bulgaria I mean it is a very much so like an up-and-coming destination I'd say Bulgaria and and Georgia and Albania are like three places that are were not on the radar five years ago 10 years ago and now people are flocking to them because as somebody put it to me recently it's like Greece without the prices in a lot of ways like you have yep. for instance in Georgia you have some of the tallest mountains I think the tallest mountains like taller than the Alps for yeah. instance and like so people are realizing like we're waking up and going oh wait I could go to Switzerland or I could go to Georgia for one fifteenth of the price and get. Even bigger, more beautiful mountains, rich culture and history. So, anyway, I asked the question because not because I question the decision to go there, but there's it's a big world. You could have picked any location. So, why why is it so intriguing to go to this part of Bulgaria?
1: Yeah. So I didn't know anything about Bansko like six months ago. Um, mm-hmm. I was invited to join the Nomad Fest, which happens in Bansko in July. So, I'm, as I'm sure you know, there's a guy called Matthias who, together with his partner Uwe, created. Uh, a nomad community in Bankso, I think in 2015, uh, and the idea is exactly as you described. You know, uh, you have incredibly beautiful mountains and a very, very beautiful little town. So it's it's an alpine village on an Eastern European budget. Uh, <laughs> It's, That's
0: a know, great tagline,
1: <laughs> right? Exactly. It's super beautiful. It's really friendly. The food is amazing. The skiing is amazing. All the natural activities, all the you know, all the outdoor activities, and and you can have this at a fraction of the price that you would pay for a similar experience and a more a better known place. So if we are looking to create an experience that allows families to live a life centric lifestyle versus a work centric lifestyle, then we want it to be in a place where they can work less and have a better lifestyle and have. more time to spend with their families so the geo-arbitrage is is imperative to create this lifestyle for families Mm. which is why banks go Uh, it is also a really family-friendly place i was actually shocked in a very good way at how many families i just saw around both times i've been there in july and recently in september you know on any day weekend or weekday you just have so many families with little kids older kids you know infants just everywhere there's lots of parks Uh, Lots of public spaces and squares and, you know, little cafes where you have locals and expat kids mingling together, playing together. It's a very friendly place. And it's a very, it's a place that's really conducive to raising a family. Mm. And I think this is why parents, you know, more kind of forward thinking parents have been moving there, you know, over the last like year or so, and I see the community growing. So I really saw this is a family destination, and so this is why we decided to go there.
0: I'm loving it. It sounds it sounds so ideal. Can you compare it? Like what what size is it? I don't know if you know the population or like is there anything anywhere you could compare it to that that people might be able to draw some like a vision of what it looks like. Like I don't know if a little by little village we're talking like 500 people or 10,000 or you I think know it's you about you, like you, you identify yeah, yeah. 10,000 okay. You identify yeah, uh, as a New Yorker so like you might be like a little village of 1 million you know
1: <laughs> <laughs> It's a it's it's a town it has a very 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 beautiful like old historic town center mm-hmm. with like these amazing chalets and you know beautiful like old restaurants and like this you know Huge tower with uh, you know a bell and everything. So uh, it has to have a bell. Street. There better yeah, be a bell. I mean, it better have a beautiful absolutely. bell. <laughs> absolutely, you know, and cobblestone streets and everything. And then, wow. and then there's the the new part of Bansko, which is closer to the skiing area. It's kind of like they call it uptown, just purely because you have to walk up the hill <laughs> to get there. <laughs> Uh, and that's uh, and there's uh, lots of lots of new developments there, uh, all centered around like the ski, you know, the ski area. And so that area is super popular in the winter. But in the summer, the downtown area, which is downhill, <laughs> uh, the historical center area, is is just beautiful. And this, it you have you know these old beautiful trees and parks and just so many wonderful you know little environments for families to hang out and enjoy their time.
0: Wow. Where, where do you fly into? What's the like route to get there generally?
1: I have to fly into the, the capital, which is Sofia, um, mm-hmm. and then it's like a two hour drive to Venkstad. And you guys organize that? The car. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, we, we would organize shuttles, yes.
0: Yeah. Cool. Um, We're
1: also trying to be sustainable and not having people rent private cars.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's a that's I'm also facing that challenge uh, with some stuff at work, coordinating like our uh, our co-located events, trying to make it as sustainable as possible. And that's that's one of the big things is is the transportation. And and when you say so, you said ten families going to this village. Are you? curating like a, a giant villa that they're all living in together or do they each have separate accommodations or, or what does the commu- the, that community look like?
1: Yeah. So uh, we've partnered with a local property uh, provider. They have... It's actually such an amazing setup because they own a small hotel, but they also own residential buildings on the same plot as the hotel. Mm-hmm. So the hotel has what used to be a huge restaurant. And now we were transforming it into the crash area upstairs from the hotel. We have an entire floor with studios. So that's specifically for single parents where you have a studio for you. And across the hall, you have like your own private, like, living slash working space. And then the, the the residential buildings next door have apartments, one and two bedroom apartments, which will be rented to families. So if you're basically just the two of you, you know, a parent and a child, then you can stay in the studio and it's more cost efficient and you have your own space there, and then you've, if you need a little bit more space, then we have one and two bedroom apartments. And it's on the same, it's within the same development. There's an internal courtyard where they can do yoga and activities and everything. There's nature all around, so it's in a way it's a it's a closed environment. There's a fence. It's a very thin fence. You don't you don't feel like you're inside a jail, you know. But there's a fence in the sense that the kids can actually run around in the in the playground and in the in the common courtyard area. And as a parent, like you don't, you don't care. They're not going to, they're not going to go on the road, you know? So we're very, very lucky to have found a really good partner, local partner, uh, to, to allow us to have this experience.
0: Wow. It sounds great. I, I, am also interested in something you mentioned. Um, you talked about plugging them into the local community. So what does that look like in, in practice?
1: Yeah. So, um, There is a circle of international parents and families in Bangsko. When I went there, I met most of them. They're super happy about more families coming in. We organize experiences. We organize, you know, co-working. So one of the family... Uh, one of the families, uh, they're from the UK. They own uh, a couple of co-working spaces in town. So by you know putting you know our parents there, they're they're already connecting with the community. There's another amazing space that opened up recently called the Banks Collab. And so they actually they have a really great program where they get local you know Bulgarian kids uh, together with expat kids, and they have activities like. Different kinds of like workshops and classes. So creating these opportunities to connect over activities, um, I think is really great. I think it's a very natural, organic way to uh, to get people together.
0: I want to go. <laughs> can I? Can I sign up? I don't. Do I have to bring a kid? Uh, I'll, I'll I'll bring my nephew or something. I sure. want to go. This sounds amazing. <laughs> I love it. It's a really fun experience for everyone involved. I feel like like whether you want to dip your toe in the water and just try this lifestyle out a little bit or or if you're looking to make it long term or if you're already a seasoned veteran of the the traveling family game, that's uh that sounds so, so great. That's it's really amazing. I, I particularly like that there's an emphasis on the kind of cross collaboration of not just the expats with the other expats, but mixing with the Bulgarian people. Do you know off the top of your head, like if if Foreigners uh, want to settle. Like if they they like it there, there's obviously a group of expats living there. Is it a fairly easy process? Like, is there a path to staying long term in Bulgaria?
1: I don't know the details because I never looked into it, but I know that there is. I there there's quite a few nomads who have come to Banksko because they wanted to you know experience the community, and they've bought property there, and they've sorted out residency. Actually, one of the founders of coworking Banksco where has a business where he helps people figure that out. So wow. after our interview, I will drop you a link. I'm sure he has a... I'll, I'll just message him and ask him, Hey, how can people get in touch with you? And maybe we can add it uh, you know, to, the, to the show notes so that people yeah. who are interested could, uh, yeah, could, could directly talk to him. Yeah, but, we'll do that. there's maybe definitely we'll, a way. Yeah.
0: We'll, we'll maybe we'll also get him on the show um, to, to go into that as well. I think there might be some people interested in Banksco. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm raising my hand right now. So um, that that sounds super super cool. I uh, I'm loving the the. I mean, I've mentioned this on this show countless times. Probably annoying for anybody listening, but like I love the cheesy little beautiful quintessential mountain village with the Alps or the the mountains in the background. And so I'm I'm sold very easily. And I've often it's funny my my wife and I have said like as we've traveled, especially over the last few years, we kind of stopped traveling to cities so much and really wanted to explore more of the you know those like third tier towns and villages and the natural beautiful areas of of the uh of Europe and anywhere that we are really and we always come across these super cool little quintessential beautiful towns they're often like mountain towns but they could be little beach villages too but they're just like kind of dead a little bit like there's no there's no youth there there's no there's no co-working space there's no you know, cool coffee shops or bars. It's just aesthetically it's beautiful. There's these stone buildings and like you said, little plazas with, you know, bell towers and beautiful natural scenery around. And we always go, man, if you could just get like a thousand people to live here that were all of like a similar mindset, like you would have such a wonderful place to to call home. And it it sounds like this is uh this is kind of what's happened here in Banksco.
1: Yeah, I think there's quite a lot of conversations now, uh, both from kind of the the EU, the European Commission and uh, and kind of like from the from the top, but also from from the community, from people about revitalizing these kinds of rural environments. The whole idea of like eco villages and setting them up in these, you know, towns that are either dying out or have already died and revitalizing them and bringing, you know, new fresh energy into those environments. I think it's great. I think it's super important. And I think in a way, recycling the architecture, recycling the the places and giving them a new life is, is great, you know. And whoever is still left there, this is, in a way, a completely new experience and an opportunity for people to stay in the place they love instead of having to move away, move to the city, move to another country, move someplace else from the place they love just in order to be able to support themselves. So I really hope to see more of this over the coming years. It's, it's a very big topic. It's a huge undertaking, and it's incredibly difficult to renovate at that Scale? but uh but i really hope that it does happen and i hope there are some dreamers that are uh, that are that will make this happen
0: yeah it's one of my favorite parts of the quote-unquote like remote work movement is this is this idea that people have been sort of forced to live in cities like a lot of people like living in big cities and that's that's totally fine but a lot of people are sort of forced there or they or they put up with it because it's like well that's where the jobs are and so as that gets democratized and opportunity becomes locationless what will people choose to do. There will certainly be a percentage that say, "No, I like you know Manhattan, I like downtown London, I, w- I don't want to go anywhere else." But there will be a big percentage also that says, "I want to go to the quintessential mountain village. I want to live in the countryside. I, you know, I want to go back to where my roots are from." Um, I think we both know Nacho Rodriguez from who, from uh, re people in the Canary Islands. Like that was his thing. He was in Boston and loved working in Boston, but he was like, "I'm from this little island off the coast of Spain, which is a paradise." I want to go back there where my roots are, but there's no culture there in terms of like internationalism and and meeting up with other entrepreneurs and stuff. And so they've created that there. And anyway, I just see this exploding like across the globe over the next ten years, where you can you don't have to live in cities anymore. You can really choose where you want to live and when people make the choice to go back to their roots or or find little villages and revitalize them. Um, there's countless projects going on uh, right now to do this. It's it's really cool to think about how it can serve those communities.
1: Yeah, and I think actually that will also make uh, cities better because cities are overcrowded. Uh, yeah. that's, that's the main problem. I mean, it's, it's just not a pleasant experience to live in most, you know, let's say first-tier c- cities at this point. So if we unload them a little bit, uh, there's more room for everyone to enjoy the city. There's less pollution. There's less traffic. It's more environmentally friendly. Uh, we c- you can make cities more pedestrian. If you have essentially fewer cars and fewer yeah. people, uh, and I, I think it's best for cities, and also you know, then you're starting to look at second and third tier cities and towns, and so this opportunity, you know, to to work from anywhere that you're no longer tied to your job is amazing because people may want to have a little bit more life than just a rural village. But there was never really, you know, unless you're in a very specific industry, it's been very very difficult to choose where you live. So, if you, for example, want to live, you know, I don't know, in Philadelphia, but you you don't do anything with research or healthcare or you know the industries that are dominant there, then you're like, why am I gonna do? What am I going to do there? You know? But you can move there. Like, there's a a movement of people buying up properties in Philly and, and moving from New York to Philly, and they still work either in New York or anywhere else. You know, so you you can really pick and choose, and so that helps other cities rise up and. I think that is a, a much better way to distribute wealth around, you know, across the world and across the country.
0: Yeah, you're you're also seeing it happen with people moving from like San Francisco, most expensive place in the in the United States right now, to places like Texas, and you know, it's like the big the big migration from from Silicon Valley to Texas, and yeah, it's it's happening in in a bunch of ways. There's also like here in Spain, there's a big thing with up in the northwest corner. There's an area you know it called Galicia, and Galicia is no, it has ton, it's got it's. Got a ton of those little like decrepit villages that used to be uh, little small towns of like fifteen buildings that are being bought for pennies and and essentially converted back into into towns and um, they're putting in fiber optic cable and and allowing you know high high speed Wi Fi and it's like th- think about how cool that is like these little towns that have died are literally being brought back to life and uh, meanwhile the, the closest. Big city is is being depopulated a little bit, and the people that stay there are going to live better lives. Like it's just a it's a win win win. <laughs> and um, yeah. anyway, we we got off topic a little bit because I mm-hmm. wanted to come back to the uh, the the family workcation and the bespoke experience before we let you go here. So just tell us a little bit about what the bespoke experience might look like for the family that says that sounds cool in Bulgaria. I, I might want to do that, but I've really had my eye on. XYZ country. What what does that process look like?
1: Yeah, sure. So, families can sign up as a single family or with their friends. And what we do is uh we'll do a discovery call. We'll, you know, we'll find out where they want to go, how long they want to go, for how old their kids are, and what their kind of needs and desires are. Then we'll go into that city and research, you know, options. We'll come back to them with like with three options. High, medium, low in terms of pricing. Everything includes accommodation, childcare, and co-working. Uh, and then, depending on, on whether or not the city has an existing community of international families, we'll obviously research that and find out ways how we can connect them. But sometimes it can be like a totally random place, and that that's not the case there. So essentially, yeah, then we'll you know we'll have another call. We'll present these options, uh, and we will you know they will choose what it is they want to go for. In that point. They pay small deposits, you know, to secure uh, the program. And we go ahead and we book everything. We then, you know, get them into the place, provide any necessary, you know, shuttles, you know, whatever it is, depending how remote it is. But essentially, uh, they will be picked up uh, at the airport and taken to the place. Because the last thing you want to do is figure out in the new country with a new language, well, jet lag, how to get to where to where you want to just put your head on the pillow so uh we really want to create the, the experience that helps them enjoy uh without you know be, being detracted by like the confusion of it all and then yeah and then uh you know once they're there they they will know exactly you know uh, how when how childcare would start uh, where it is how to get there uh and the co-working the same thing and then if there is an, an existing community of international families, then we will have already, you know, connected with them and maybe set up like, you know, a welcome dinner, a welcome drink, you know, for the family there.
0: Uh, so nice. So nice. I, I was curious about something with both experiences that just came to mind. Um, do you mentioned distance learning before for the kids? Like, so that, that leads me to believe that sometimes the parents are doing this during the school year Um, is that is that the case or do they tend to do this like during the summer months when the kids are off for instance
1: well i think it's going to be much easier uh, for parents to try this out uh, during school vacation but this is kind of like the the traditional families who are living their traditional city life i have a lot a lot of uh, families who are expats and nomads who are also interested in this experience so they're already doing distance learning so, this is why you know for the kids that that have that need, we'll obviously set up you know their own space for them to learn
0: nice, very cool. It sounds fantastic um. If I if I had kids, I would be uh, I would be signing up right now. I think, but maybe I'll just see you in um, in Bulgaria uh, as a as a solo traveler, me, my wife, and I. Maybe we'll bring our dog. That'll Perfect. be the closest we can do. Um, <laughs> no, it, it sounds amazing. Kate, do we do we miss anything? Is there anything else that people should know? We're gonna uh, before we sign off, we'll give you a chance to list all your the links and we will the, to go to, and we'll put all that in the show notes. But before we get to that, did, did I miss anything? Anything else you think is important to know about the program or Traveling with families, the future of work, whatever. Feel free to feel free to drop that in here.
1: Uh, yeah, no, I just wanted to uh, invite families in particular to try out a life centric lifestyle. We have been conditioned for you know the last hundred years or so to prioritize work and to put ourselves in concrete boxes, but it's no longer necessary. It was never necessary in the first place, but we were kind of duped into the whole thing. <laughs> opportunity to to try a completely different life and i think this is going to be amazing for try out a life that is focused on the experience of connection and the experience of growth and the experience of love and kindness and there's no better way to do that than to take your family to a place where you can spend more time with them while also connecting to other humans living there
0: I couldn't agree more. It's the it's the best form of education, I think. I mean, I've I've learned so much about myself through travels and through living in different places and and it's a common theme on this show: everybody that I talk to that's ventured abroad uh, solo or with a family has nothing but good things to say. Of course, there are some challenges along the way, but everybody says I would never change it for anything. You know, the kids are getting a great experience. Um, you're building great traditions and 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 experiences with your family, and and there's nothing wrong with with going against the grain and trying something that's a little bit outside the box. Uh, just because it's what people have been doing for the last 100 years doesn't mean you have to keep going down the same path, especially if you feel called to do this kind of thing, but you think you're trapped and you can't, um, which I think is the case for for a lot of people. They think, oh, well, I can't do this. I'll, I'll travel when the kids go off to college or I'll travel when I retire and then you spend, you know, your whole life waiting for that that moment and uh and the moment is here you can do it now. Thank you so much Kate. Where can people find you? Again, we'll link to it in the show notes, but while people are listening, what are the best best places to follow along you and the, uh, the Family Workation?
1: Yeah. So thefamilyworkation.com is our website. I'll also have the URL for you for the bespoke experience. We're just putting finishing touches uh, on that section of the website. Instagram is at the Family workation. Yeah, the same thing. LinkedIn and Facebook. It's all... if you, Basically, if you search for the Family Workation, you will find us everywhere.
0: Hmm. <laughs> That's fantastic. All right. Great. Thank you so much. Really enjoyed this. I hope to see you in Bulgaria. I'm, I'm certainly intrigued now. Great talking to you, Kate. Thanks for stopping by.
1: Thank you very much. It's been such a pleasure.
0: Take care. Thanks for tuning in today from wherever you are in the world. Once again, I'm Chase, and this has been another episode of About Abroad. For those of you wondering how you can best support the show, I have made it super simple for you. Just go over to the show notes of the episode that you just finished listening to and click on one of the two following links aboutabroad.com slash newsletter to get our monthly newsletter no spam guaranteed or rate this podcast.com slash about abroad where you can quickly and easily leave a review for the show it's not just important to me it also helps more wanderers just like you find us finally don't forget to subscribe on your podcast platform of choice and we will see you again next week thanks again hasta luego amigos